Hello, my name is Jacob Fenston. Welcome to this podcast produced by the International Monetary Fund in Washington, D.C. Food prices are near record highs worldwide. In parts of sub-Saharan Africa, for example, maize prices are up 20 to 30 percent in just the past three months, according to the World Bank. Peter Jaranyama is president of an NGO that works on agricultural development and food security. It's the Association of African Agricultural Professionals in the Diaspora. Originally from Zimbabwe, he's now with the University of Massachusetts, and he was in Washington, D.C. for the IMF World Bank Spring Meetings. I asked him about the effects of high food prices on the world's most vulnerable. The most obvious is that uh, the, the nutrition is going to be very much affected and that especially I would affect children so they'll be more nutritioned. And we saw the reaction of uh, people say in Mozambique when there was food price increases, you know, it destabilizes the local governments because people have to resort to some extra judicial means to get access to food. And poverty is at the core. Uh, if they had money, they'll be able to get access but more, more people are moved into poverty as a result of uh, increased uh, food prices. And why is volatility uh, an important issue? Um, prices spiking and dropping, why does that affect hunger and poverty? Well, it does in many ways because there's a distortion of the market system. The markets no longer are, are predictable, and therefore people will end up doing things out of desperation. Like, for instance, governments will end up instituting policies of export controls or price controls that, are, that do not help with the, with the world markets. So that does affect uh, the well-being of the population. Do you have any anecdotes of how this has affected people in Zimbabwe sort of on the ground, what does a farmer do? What does uh, a poor family do when food prices spike? Because food will not be available, people will have to look for off-farm activities, and some of these include being involved in things like mining activities that would affect the environment, and some people will end up uh, cutting down trees to create, uh, you know, to use as firewood or to, as to trade so that they can have money. So they'll look for off-farm activities that will make them have money to go and buy, and some of those can be dangerous or they can have negative consequences to the environment. High food prices are obviously bad for people who need to buy the food, but there's also a lot of farmers in, in sub-Saharan Africa who could benefit from selling that food at higher price. It would be nice if they're able to produce enough to be able to sell, but in most cases they produce just enough for themselves. Uh, it's an irony that the people that are producing the food, they don't have adequate food for themselves. As a result, people start skipping meals, maybe one meal a day, and we know what happens in terms of nutrition, in terms of the health system, because now not only are you dealing with a hungry population, but you're now dealing with some secondary healthy issues that have been caused by lack of access to food. What do you think the root causes of these high prices are? Well, there are several. Uh, one of them is uh, speculate, speculation on the market. Um, also, the use of food crops for, for biofuels, for non-food usage. Uh, here, like for instance, in the U.S., the price of corn has gone up because it's the, the corn is being used in the ethanol industry. And those reserves that would have been available to help out in developing countries or in countries that are hungry are no longer available. If they are, they are more expensive. Don't get me wrong, I'm for clean energy, for green energy, but I think maybe we need to be focusing more on non-food crops to do that so that we can uh, at least develop the buffer stocks that are required to, for us to mitigate against hunger. And what needs to be done to address the issues of high food prices and volatility? 
I think we have to look at a long-term uh, commitment here. I mean, all along we've been looking at a short-term reaction to issues, but I think we need to invest, one, in, ha in greater agricultural productivity. And that means modernizing the equipment that is used by the smallholder farmers. That means giving more voice to the smallholder farmers so they can have more political voice. And that means modernizing our institutions so that they are more tailor-made to a service at the smallholder farmer. Because in most cases, the smallholder farmer doesn't have collateral, and therefore the banks will say, no, I don't want to deal with you. Maybe it's about time we started uh, experimenting with group lending and helping the farmers to be more organized so they can form a critical mass that will enable them to go to the bank or that will enable them to market their produce and connecting the growers to the market. Are there any success stories that you would point to in sub-Saharan Africa in terms of doing those things to promote agriculture? Africa as a continent has come up with a blueprint, uh, which they call CADEP, Comprehensive Africa Agriculture, uh, Agriculture Program. In that program, each government has to commit to allocate 10% of its GDP towards agriculture development. And there are some, at least 20 countries that have taken up the CADEP compact, and such as Rwanda, they are doing great. And even Malawi, we've seen uh, percentages of 40% of poor people being moved up a ladder so they are no longer as poor or, or classified as extremely poor. They have access and they have means of production as a result of deliberate uh, efforts by the uh, local government to invest into agriculture. So there are some success stories but they need to be replicated and they need to be scaled up. We, we still need to invest especially in uh, institutions that help the smallholder farmers uh, such as the agricultural research, agricultural extension, tertiary education and also getting the youth involved because uh, most of the farmers, the smallholder farmers, they're getting old especially in sub-Saharan Africa. As of now most of the youth are not interested in agriculture because of the drudgery. I mean we have to invest in implements, in equipment, in uh, intermediate technologies that would help and attract young people to be involved in agriculture. That was Peter Jaranyama, president of the Association of African Agricultural Professionals in the Diaspora. To hear more podcasts, you can look us up on the IMF's website, www.imf.org.